0: All right. Well, again, good morning. Welcome back to Hope Lower Town. Uh, this is week nine uh, of the Gospel Changes Everything, and we've kind of covered a various number of topics. A couple weeks ago, we spent a couple weeks looking at, at uh, politics, and I think if you're like me, like we have Zoom fatigue, we probably have politic fatigue right now, um, and uh, so I'm not going to talk about that again today. Uh, but I want to want to zoom in a little bit again on the church. And, and before we do that, just for, for illustration, have you ever uh, read a book or watched a movie uh, where the sequel was actually better than the original, if that makes sense, or the, the first movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, I have a list, okay? And, and you can disagree, and that's okay. Some of them I don't even have an opinion on because uh, I haven't really watched them. Um, but The Empire Strikes Back, apparently that was a thing. Apparently that was better than uh, Four, which was, which was number one. Which what was that? What was four? A New Hope, Hope, thank you. I knew, I was was trying to find Ben. I'm like, oh yeah, he's back there. Um, Superman 2, Christopher Reeves, come on. Oh man, that was, Superman 2 was way better than Superman 1. And the new ones don't even hold a candle uh, to Christopher Reeves. Um, Can I get an amen? Um, And uh, Terminator 2, of course, Judgment Day. That one was uh, far superior, even just technologically advanced than the first one. Uh, the Two Towers, this was, um, what is this, Lord of the Rings? Again, I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't I, don't, I know it's Lord of the Rings, but I, I don't know if, I don't know if the second one was better than the first one, I don't have to say. X-Men 2, I do feel like, yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, this one's HP, oh yeah, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Askaban. 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 What's that? Well, hey, it was on the list, so maybe, maybe it could just be anything in the series, maybe not a. You know, sequel. I don't know. Dark Knight, yes, right? I mean, the first one was great, but second one, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, again, I don't really have a say so much in that one. I don't, I don't remember those. But Thor Ragnarok, I would agree. That was better than the original Thor. Um, and that's the third one? Well, again, you know, it doesn't, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't, I got it. I just, I Googled. Movies that came out before the original that were better, and these were some of them, and I left out a lot of them that I didn't even, I was like, I don't even know what these, what these are. So, that's from the Google uh, machine, so it's right. Um, that I know. I say all that because last week, uh, we answered the question, or tried to, just kind of dig into the question of, what is the church? And this is, what is the church Part two. Now what I don't want is emails or texts me being like, oh, nope, nope. Last week was better, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not looking for that. Uh, but what I want to do is I'm literally following the exact same outline, uh, but going to be zooming in a little bit differently. And so I've got I've got three main points just like last week, but I've got three quotes. Uh, I've got three passages, three illustrations, um, and two applications. I couldn't come up with a third one, so that's all we're going to stick with. Uh, but we've got three points, and, and here's the deal. So last week, if, if you've ever been like, um, if I can't remember what it's called, skeet shooting or, or maybe bird hunting or whatever, they use a different kind of shot, and they're in a shotgun. It there's there's hundreds of little little pellets, little BBs that go flying everywhere, and it just you know, it's a broader broader shot, but they're not very powerful. Uh, just meant to, you know, crush a little clay clay pop thing. But then there's also something called buckshot. And that's kind of what we're going to be using today, where it's not going to be this broad spray like we looked at last week, where we, we had, I mean, probably two dozen different passages of Scripture. We didn't look at them all, but just main points based on Scripture and what is the church. This week, we're just going to look at three. There's going to be three chunks that we're going to look at from, from Scripture but what I want to actually do, uh, it was kind of uh, the beginning of this week, uh, I had one thing that I wanted to do and it just really focus in on what it means to be Hope Lower Town in this community um, and seeking the welfare of the city, looking at Jeremiah 29. But I felt like we'd, we'd talked about that a lot. And so I kind of shifted gears um, uh, part way through the week and just thought, I want to take this outline that we got from Ed Stetzer last week of this idea of the church that it's biblically faithful culturally relevant, and counter-cultural communities. And last week was was more of this broad idea of us as the church, and, and this as, as a community. This week, I wanna hone in a little bit more personally, although this is still applicable to community, if that makes sense. And So this should be, should be personal application, per, personal takeaways, and yet the personal takeaway should then influence and impact how we uh, look at the church. And so this week I was sitting. Um, actually, it was actually Thursday. Uh, no, no, what could not have been Thursday? Because I, I, I gave Paul or whatever. Anyways, I, I found a book on my desk. I've had this book forever. I probably got it in the seminary, and I probably never even cracked it open. Um, and just this week, I, I just was like, oh, I wonder what this theology book is, <laughs> and it's right on my desk. And so I grabbed it, pulled it off, and I'm looking at it, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh wow, uh, this is a really good book. And all it is is just a bunch of old dead guys. Uh, and their theology, and it was just it, so. I just kind of was looking through it and found some some quotes, and so I've got these three quotes. Um, two, of course, from from Martin Luther, but one from Augustine of Hippo from North Africa. And I'm and just there's so there's so much here. Um, and so let me just jump into this. So the first first one is biblically faithful, uh, and so I'm gonna just say a word about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a was a rough guy. In a sense, that he um, didn't curb his his language, his words a whole lot. Um, I love his, a lot of his theology, and I despise other points of his theology. Uh, and, and you all know that I, I really appreciate Martin Luther and how he changed the world. He did. He changed the world and how we how we live. Uh, and yet, he was very blunt. Uh, and I would and I would say, looking back and reading this, and going like. Uh, you know, we had that phrase of matter and manner. Matter, right? The content that we're teaching or that we believe is really important, but how we teach that is equally just as important. And uh, Luther lacked the manner. He just was like, "Nope, this is it. You're an idiot. Get out." Right? That's just how he was. Except he he was more intelligent than me, and so he there's actually a website that's just called like Martin Luther uh, something like that, and so you can actually just go get insulted by by Luther. And so this was one. This is the first one. I just went to the website and it says, "This is so. This is so offensive. Your words are so foolishly and ignorantly composed that I cannot believe you understand them." Like <laughs> that is that is. It's like what was I forget that phrase of like uh, uh what is it? You have earned zero points. May God have mercy on your soul. We are all dumber for have listening to that um that whole. It's like that, right? <laughs> this is Luther, and this is. Early on in his ministry, this is in a rebuttal to his Ninety Five Theses. He started out hot, so uh, that's him. Okay, so I'm going to read some quotes here now. And again, one more thing that I need to say: Luther's goal was to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't. He was not anti-Catholicism. He wanted to try to reform. He tried. He was trying to say, "Hey, let's get back to where we should be according to the epistles, according to the early church fathers." We're not there. We've drifted. This has become a political thing, and, and it shouldn't be. It's becoming too powerful, and we're manipulating people. We're manipulating our congregations, and it shouldn't be that way. And so, when the when the church uh, excommunicates Luther and says, "No, no, no, we're not going to reform," then he he is very mean towards the Catholic churches. So, I'm going to read some quotes here from him, and. Uh, and And particularly on the church, and this one specifically is actually on on the scripture and the power of the scripture and so he's gonna uh, before I get into the quote he's gonna actually talk about the 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 things they're they're uh, called icons um it could be a picture it could be a stained glass window it could be it could be a, a staff it could be a incense it could be any number of things that the church kind of would bless and make holy um and so he's gonna kind of talk pretty negatively about those things, and he's going to elevate scripture over that. So, so let, me, let me jump into this quote. It's kind of a, in two parts here. It says, these objects, these things that they, that they use, these objects will never teach one to love God, to believe, to praise, or to be pious. They may adorn this bag of maggots, but afterward, they fall apart and decay, along with the chrism and whatever holiness it contains. Whatever it is that they did to bless it, it all falls apart. Why? Because it's going to decay. And the bag of maggots itself, right? This thing that is blessed is going to decay. So he's saying, why are we putting so much trust and faith and hope in these things? right? And finding a part of the cross or whatever it may be, it's all going to decay. It's all going to fall apart and which he calls a bag of, bag of maggots, which is a fun, fun phrase. Um, he's going to specifically hone in on Matthew chapter 13 in this quote, which I'm not going to necessarily read his um, uh, exegesis of that passage and explanation of that passage, but it's a parable. And we're going to look at two different parables of Jesus today, and we're going to talk about one here from Luther and one from Augustine. In a little bit, so I want to explain parables. I know I mentioned this on our on our podcast and Sunday rewind when we were going through our, our racial solidarity when we specifically honed in on the Good Samaritan. And so, if you've heard this before, sorry, I mean, you're, you're going to hear it again. But this is this is a quick explanation of parables. I go a little bit more in depth in the podcast, but um, this is what this is. Uh, it's not a simile. We know what similes are. You when you use like or as, Jesus uses similes all the time. The kingdom of God is like fill in the blank, right? It's like a. Uh, a man who finds a treasure in a field right he uses it's it's also parables are also not a metaphor uh, which he also uses he says i am the door i am the way um he says i am the bread of life i am the i am the vine and you are the branches he's not saying i'm literally a vine and you are all literally branches the last night i was watching the the british baking show uh with my wife fans any fans out there yeah uh, and uh and, and one of the girls that made it through, she said, I, I, she was like, I got, I, was, I got saved literally by the skin on my teeth. And I'm like, I don't think, that's not what literally means, right? You can't do that, right? You don't have any skin on your teeth, right? So you can't say literally, okay? It doesn't make any sense, all right? Uh, but we are not literally a door, or Jesus is not all these different things, right? Uh, but he does use that. Another one is hyperbole. And we talk about hyperbole, it's, it's an obvious uh, on-purpose exaggeration of something. Jesus says this when he says the mustard seed is the, is the smallest seed. That wasn't even true of, of, when, of where, where he was, but he was trying to make a point. This is a super small seed, and it grows into this tree that even birds can land on. Um, I used to do this a lot growing up, uh, which, I mean, I look back, I'm like, man, I hope my kids are not like me because um, I was brilliant um, in the sense that my mom would ask me, go clean, go pick up your room. That's what she would say, go pick up your room. And I'd go in my room and I'd play Nintendo for a little while. And then when I heard my mom coming, I would run over to my bed and try to pick it up. Be like, right? I'm like, mom, how can you? I can't pick up my room, right? Um, <laughs> I could probably venture into hyperbole. I'm not sure, right? So uh, they're here. So they hopefully I didn't hear that. I just got to be more, you know, mom, got to be more clear with your language. Pick up your room. It doesn't make any sense. All right, what is a parable though, specifically? Uh, Within the Greek, para and bull, it's it's just a a language of to throw alongside of. It's to throw alongside of something else. Augustine, which again, we're going to look at a little bit, when he talks about biblical interpretation, he says there's three main points to biblical interpretation. Number one is context, number two is context, and number three is context. And that's to throw alongside of something else. It's an illustration pointing out something else. And there's, there's usually just one main thing, which normally is, usually almost always is, Jesus explain what the kingdom of God is and what it's going to be like. And there's usually a massive and major comparison. So with that in mind, there's usually one main point he's trying to make. He's explaining the kingdom of God, but he's making a comparison. So Matthew chapter 13. Verses 4 through 8, I'll have this up on the screen. If you want to follow along in your scriptures, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, reading out of the ESV, it says this, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. Okay, so he wakes up, he goes outside for a nice little stroll, maybe a cup of coffee, and, uh, and, and then all of a sudden these crowds of people, and he, they're just pushing him into the lake. So he jumps into a boat and he, and he backs up a little bit so that he can preach and talk to the, the people and teach them. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And, and I've preached on this years ago, uh, but most likely Jesus is actually using a visi- visible, actual thing. He's taking something that everybody is, knows, it's common language, and saying, hey, look at that person sowing the seed. You see that? We all know what's happening there. And he says, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they immediately sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they wilted. They uh, withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain. Some one hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears let him hear. So this is the parable that he's saying. He's saying that this seed, which we're going to find out later, is just the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that we just throw out. We spread on. We spread it out to everyone that we possibly can and as much as we can to come in contact with people. We said, this is this is Jesus. This is the hope of the world, right? He died for our sins. And so we share that. And some people are that hard ground. They go, I don't even know. I'm done. Other people might show a little bit of interest, but they, there's no depth and they they get choked out by the sun. And other ones, the thorns, they grow, but then as as life goes on, just the distractions of the world catches them and chokes them out, and they're not there anymore. And then the other seeds fall on good soil. And so finishing up here with Luther, he says, there are many who who know it in their hearts, but will not profess it openly. Many possess it, but do not believe it or act in it. For the number of those who believe in and act on it is small. The parable of the seed says that three sections of the field received and contained the seed. But only the fourth section, the fine and good soil, bears fruit with patience. Now, anywhere you hear or see such a word preached, believed, confessed, and acted upon, do not doubt that the true Ecclesia Sancta Catholica, that just means Ecclesia is gathered, sanctified, and then Catholic just means universal. So the universal holy church Or a holy Christian people must be there, even though there are very few of them. For God's word shall not return void, but must possess at least a fourth or a part of the field. And even if there were no other sign than this alone, it would be enough to prove that a holy Christian people must exist there. For God's word cannot be without God's people. And conversely, God's people cannot be without God's word. For who would preach the Word and hear it preached if there were no people of God? And what could uh, or what, sorry, what could and would God's people believe if there were no Word of God? One of my favorite lectures that I give every year in class is, how did we get our scriptures? To me, it's this beautiful thing that we see that we, we get to read from and to see the validity of it, and how over thousands of years, and we've got 40 plus different authors and we've got over 5,000 of these ancient manuscripts that all line up identically to a 99.9% accuracy over thousands of years blows my mind. And he's saying that if God doesn't reveal himself primarily through the speaking and the teaching of his word and the reading of his word, his written word, how do we even know what we're doing? How do, how do we even know what to do? And how can we be a people of God without his word? And we say this a lot around here, this idea of sola scriptura. Coming out of the Reformation, and again, the scripture in that old stained glass window is the highest thing. It's our highest authority. And by what I, what I mean by that, and I want to explain that. So in our own hearts, is that is the highest authority? Um, it's been a while since I've used a Jeep illustration, so I'm going I'm to use one. I've got two here. Uh, one is just Cherokee, the only vehicle that has hero in its name, <laughs> uh, which is true. Um, this, uh, another, uh, this is funny, okay? Okay, say toy, and then little baby Yoda's toy. Say yo, yo, say da, da. You get it? Toy, Yoda. That's uh, okay, you get it. Um, and then Toyota, and then he says Jeep, um, which is funny. Um, I, the other day, I was driving down the road. This is, this is true. I was driving down the road, and I was looking at a, at a Toyota pickup truck, and I was saying to myself, Toyota, Toyota, Toyota? And I realized I pronounced the Y twice. Toy, Yoda. Why do I do that? Toyota. Isn't just Toyota? Toyota? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. But I, I, everyone says Toyota. There's two Y's. Two words. Toy Yoda. Anyways, here's the point. This is, my, this is my baby. Not my baby. This is my Jeep. <laughs> my, my babies are back there. <laughs> making noise. Uh, when I work on my Jeep, I do not... The doors are off on purpose. Just... When I work in my Jeep, I don't consult the Bible. I don't consult the scriptures to how I should fix my Jeep, right? That's, that's asinine. That doesn't make any sense. And I know that might be a silly illustration, but maybe we talk about kids, right? How do I, how do I discipline my children? Scripture says a lot of things about how we, should be, how we should act as parents, how we should discipline and instruct our children, but not necessarily how we should discipline and instruct our children. And so we take biblical principles as our highest authority, But it's not my only authority. And so I can look to other people who have good kids that love Jesus and I can say, teach me your ways, oh, wise one. (laughs) Because I haven't figured this thing out. Right? And that happens in so many different areas and avenues of our life that we can say, yes, scripture, but let's filter everything in our life through that lens of scripture. Do I want to buy a house? Yes, I want to buy a house. Can I afford this house? No. Well, that goes against biblical principles. Right? Moving on, culturally Relevant for the second point, again, another quote here from Luther, not, not looking at a parable, but a passage that if you've been coming to Lower Town for any time, uh, you're very familiar with. So Luther says this, uh, oh yeah, this is again a, a kind of defense. He has, he has four or five walls. We're just going to look at one. We've got to stop looking at the church this way and ourselves this way. Let us first assault this first wall. It is an invention and, he, and he's, this, is not, this is actually not an attack on Catholicism. This is just an attack on religion or Christian re, religion in general, even within his own denomination of Lutheranism, uh, which he hated, by the way. Luther, Luther did not like the fact that people were calling their churches Lutheran. Um, anyways, it, it's an invention that the Pope, bishop, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, craftsmen, and farmers are called the secular estate. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. This is the idea of the two kingdoms, that things that happen within the church are holy and sanctified and Christ-like. And anything that happens outside of the church, be it craftsmen and artists and musicians and whatever, that's, that's secular. And Luther's saying, that's not how it is. Why? Why, Luther? Why? Why should these not? Why should these be blended now? Why is this that Jesus is king and Lord over all? He says, this is a spurious idea. This is a, this is a false idea. And nobody should fear it for the following reason. All Christianity truly belonged to the spiritual estate. And there is no difference among them apart from their office. Okay, so the little things we do for a paycheck is no different from the things that me, somebody that gets paid to do this, so to, to be a Christian, there's no difference. That's what he's saying. We all have one baptism, one gospel, one faith, and are all alike Christians in that it is baptism, gospel, and faith. Uh, he is a paedo-Christian, uh, so he, he believes in, in baptizing babies. We're not, we're not there, so I would say it's gospel, faith, and baptism, uh, which alone make us spiritual and a Christian people. We are all consecrated priests, all consecrated priests through, through baptism. As St. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood and a priestly kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 9. I want to look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And he says this phrase, but you church, you Gentiles, you all, all ethne are now a chosen race. All of us, no longer just ethnic Israelites, everybody. We are all a chosen race. We are now a royal priesthood, meaning there is what's called the priesthood of the believer. That if, a, if I believe I'm a priest, I no longer need to go into a confessional booth and confess my sins so they can pray to God. I have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who's seated on the throne, who I can directly have access to in prayer. And what, what Paul tells me, I can boldly go to the throne of grace in prayer. Boldly? Yes, because my high priest is there and because I'm a priest, because he's declared me a priest. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In a minute, right when we're taking communion, we're going to be singing Psalm 150, um, which is written by, Martin. not Psalm, the Psalm 150 is written by David, but... Um, Or Psalm 130, excuse me. And and David, or excuse me, Martin Luther is going to paraphrase this into a new covenant perspective and simply look at this idea uh, that there's something changed here. We once weren't a people, now we are a people. Once we didn't have mercy, now we do have mercy. But in this lyrics, it's going to say, Our shepherd, good and true, is he who has at last his Israel freed from all their sin and sorrows. We, We sing this song every once in a while. What do we mean? We say, Why are we singing about Israel? Why is Luther writing a song that Israel has at last been freed from all their sin and sorrows? Because if we read the Bible from start to finish with the lens of the gospel impacting everything and God wanting to reach all people and all tongues and all nations, and that someday we will gloriously be reunited without any any hesitation, without any ramifications, without any racism, anything, any division at all, because Jesus is the king who sits on the throne. And when that moment happens, when when Jesus dies on the cross for my sin, I am freed from my sin and sorrow. Jesus, who has at last his Israel freed from all our sins and sorrows and the sorrows that result from our sins. We are the true Israel. The church is true Israel. Augustine's going to say the same thing here in just a minute. So again, just to finish up this quote from Luther here, he says this, it follows from this that there is no basic true differences between lay people, priests, princes, and bishops, between the spiritual and the secular, except for their office and their work, and not in the basis of their status. Status is forgiven. Status is redeemed. All are of the spiritual estate, and all are true priests, bishops, and popes, although they are not the same in terms of their individual work. So what's the application for this, right? I mentioned this a couple, I don't know, probably a year ago. Yeah, probably almost exactly a year ago. Maybe a little, little over a year. I had this idea of we we're talking about the church and what is our structure. And so we have this idea that we are elder-led, governance team supported, uh, uh, staff run. And then who can get the last one? Member member mobilized. That's who we are, right? Why? Because of the priesthood of the believer. And so when you have an idea, when you have a thought, when you have something that comes to your head and say, I want to I do this for the church, I want to do this for the community, it's my role to say, how can I help? What can we do to help our neighborhood? What can we do? That's our role, that's our job, because we're all priests. And so we can talk about block parties, right? Um, we host one, at least First Baptist hosts one here last year, the uh, St. Mary's hosted it, and they did a really good job. Let's outdo them, <laughs> okay? Let's do this. Let's, let's have fun out there and invite people to this party. We could reinstitute the art crawl. We did that a couple times, and we just turned this entire auditorium into a beautiful art studio. It was awesome. We did it. It was just a lot, it was a lot of work. Uh, preaching style, right? And again, this is on me. Am I, am I hip? Am I relevant? Am I culturally relevant? All oh, You know what I'm saying? I just, is that is Am I that? How about music style, right? I love our music, right? But are we staying relevant? Are we staying appropriate? And then it's et cetera, right? There's so many other things that we could possibly do. And so that's, that's for you guys to dream, to think. Are we culturally relevant within my own heart? Do I really believe that I, there's a priesthood of the believer? Last point here, countercultural communities. And we looked at this of just saying, yeah, we want to be culturally relevant at the same time countercultural. Why? Because the gospel's offensive. To say Jesus is the hope of the world and that he, he, fig- he will fix everything if we just put our hope and faith and trust in him and believe the gospel and then live out that gospel by loving our neighbors as ourselves, Whew. it's countercultural. I want to quote here Augustine, St. Augustine from Hippo, North Africa. He says this In the Song of Songs, okay, this is an Old Testament, the Song of Solomon, and he's going to say the church because. He's saying the Song of Songs describing Israel, and he's equating now it one for one. No, 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 this is the church. The church is described as an enclosed garden. My sister and a bride, sealed fountain, a well of living water, an orchard of choice fruit. I dare not interrupt this except as applying only to the holy and righteous and not to the greedy, the fraudulent, the grasping, the usurers, the drunken, the envious, those share in a common baptism with the righteous, but they do not, however, share in common charity. Okay, what's he saying here? They, there's a big emphasis on, on church membership and baptism within the church. And they say, okay, we, we're members of this church, but I, I don't think we're living the same ways here. Just how, how have they penetrated into the enclosed garden and the sealed fountain? As Cypher says, another. Uh, Bishop from, where was he from? From Carthage in North Africa as well in 200 A.D. Uh, he was born in 200 A.D., so probably, probably didn't write it in 200, probably a little after that. Um, he says this, as Cyphron says, uh, they have uh, renounced the world only in word, not in deed. And yet, and yet he admits that they are within the church. In they are within and from the bride of Christ, in this reality of the bride, without blemish or wrinkle. Is that beautiful dove defiled by such a part of her members? There are some in that, mem- in that number who now live wickedly. They may even be sunk in heresies or in pagan superstitions, yet even there the Lord knows those who belong to him. For in the ineffable, the unapproachable, undescribable foreknowledge of God, many who seem to be outside are actually within, just as many who seem to be within are really outside. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. That's terrifying to me. At least it used to be. Because if you keep reading, he says, But the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father who is in heaven? Believe in my Son. Trust in him to take away your sins and be transformed by the renewing of your heart and your mind. Jesus continues, Many will come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do many miraculous things? And he will say, I never knew you. You never actually believed in me. You just were part of the group. Depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew chapter 13, this is the last parable. He says this, Jesus, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man Who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among them, among the wheat, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy. Has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and then bind them into a bundle to be burned. But gather the wheat in my barn." Again, what's the main point of a parable? The main point here is this is what the kingdom of God is. And specifically here, he's talking about the kingdom of God and how so many people can be infiltrated by by the world, by the devil, to say, hey, I like this community, I like these people, but they're not truly believers. Now, this is a hard saying. Examine yourself, because it's hard for me to do. You've got to examine your own heart. Am I, am I a wheat or a tear? And if, if you're like, man, I, I don't know. A tear. that's a, the that's a King James. Am I, a wee, am I wheat or am I a weed? Do you believe in Jesus as the king and as the hope of the world? Have you bent your knee to King Jesus? Because judgment day is coming as we looked at 2 Peter. And what's evident by this passage that Jesus teaches is by your fruit, they will be known. By our fruit, they're going to be known. Some hundredfold, some 60, some 30, but by our fruit, they're going to be known. Some of these I'm going to say, bring into my barn. Some I'm going to say, I, I never knew you. This was me. I know a lot of you know my story, and a lot of you partially know my story, but I grew up in the church. Um, I've got, it was hard to find a, a picture of my senior year. This was my senior year, but it graduated in 4 I'm the really skinny guy in the the uh, black and orange goalie jersey there. I was the starter. Uh, led us to a state championship. Uh, IACS just simply means Illinois Association of Christian Schools. So <laughs> it wasn't uh, a lot of competition. Um, we were by far the biggest school. Um, I hate soccer. Um, I did not want to play soccer. And my coach, uh, the coach, I don't remember even remember, I don't remember his name. Uh, it impacted me very deeply, um, came to me and said, hey, I know you play football. Would you be willing to play goalie? And I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. And he was like, no, 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 really, I think, I think you'd really help. And um, I said, well, two, under two conditions. He had all these rules on what his players were allowed to eat and not eat. You know, they couldn't eat fatty foods. They couldn't, couldn't drink soda pop. Um, and I was like, not happening. I can drink and eat whatever I want to eat and drink. Not, I'm not doing that. And number, number two is I'm not running. Okay, they used to run two miles before and after practice. I was like, I'm a goalie, I'm not running. And so I think this team uh, despised me because they would all run two miles and I would just be chilling on the sideline every day. (laughs) It was quite amazing, Um, but it was fun. Now, that was a backstory. It had nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I apologize, I derailed myself there. Now, but me, that guy, handsome, skinny, young man, that guy was a hypocrite. I looked right. I mean, look, man, my hair, it's, right, it's not touching my collar. And I wore the, wore the right clothes. I talked a certain way. I didn't talk a certain way. I didn't watch certain things. I didn't listen to certain things. But man, my heart was far from God. All I cared about was impressing those people. All I cared about was impressing my teachers. All I cared about was impressing my youth pastors and my pastors. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be a good Christian. I, and then this year, I won Best Christian in my high school award. And they gave me a $5,000 scholarship. I was good at it. <laughs> and it wasn't until I came face-to-face with the true gospel that said the gospel is not just something I believe. It's not just something that takes root in my life. And then as you grow older, it gets choked out, which I've seen. And I'm not going to name names, but as I think back to my high school, there are people that I remember calling out and shaming them because I thought they were moderate Christians. You weren't holy like the rest of us. But it's amazing. I'm friends with a lot of them still on Facebook. But it was those guys that I used to call out. Those are the only ones that are actually still in the church. The ones that were on fire and doing good. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And, 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 and But by the grace of God, there go I. And, uh, and, I've, and I've apologized to them. They're, they're, still, they're actually really good friends of mine. And I've had to apologize. i like, man, remember that thing I said to you? He's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember when you did that. I remember you called me out in front of everybody saying I wasn't going to church enough. He's like, maybe I wasn't going to church enough because you're all hypocrites. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you, have, you got me there. Let's, let, let's not let that be us. Can we look, am I, am I a weed or am I the wheat? And the question always comes down to, am I believing in Jesus as the hope of the world, as the Lord of my life? And so just in gospel application, we looked at this, this outline, are we biblically faithful, culturally relevant, and countercultural communities? Is this us? That was the application last week. Is this us? Is this us as a church? Are we, are we those three major things when it comes to the church? But then finally, is this me? Do I hold Scripture as my highest authority? Am I, am I noticing and realizing I am a priest? At the same time, am I authentic? Am I real? Am I real in this? So, in a moment, we're going to take communion. And I would, if, you're, if you want to take communion with us, there's, uh, there's elements in the back, a little individually wrapped things, and, and so they're sanitary and all that, so feel free to partake. All I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you say, no, I, I know I'm not weed. I have doubts sometimes, or sorry, I know I'm not a weed. I've got doubts sometimes, right? We all have doubts every once in a while, but then we always go back to the cross. We say, Jesus is the hope of the world who takes away the sins of the world, my sins included, because I have faith in him. And so is this, is this you? And if not, we'd ask that you don't take communion with us. But you could say, yes, today I want that to be the day, and then to feel free. Man, if you, if you bow the, king, the, the knee to King Jesus today, feel free to join us in communion. You don't have to be a member here or a member of anywhere. Um, just if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love to partake of these elements together to remember what it is that Christ did for us on the cross so many years ago, that he won the victory, that at last... Has His Israel freed from all their sins and sorrows? Will you bow and pray with me as we use this time to reflect, to rep- to pray, to confess, and to worship the God who loves us so much to send His only Son into the world to forgive us of our sins. Heavenly Father, uh, God, you um, you are so great, and I and I just think back even now, just in our and the political climate, a lot of just unsurity and things going on. God, you're, you're in control. We've been saying that for, for weeks. Um, you're good. You're seated on the throne. And so, God, would you be honored and glorified now that as we look at our, at our church, as we look at ourselves to be biblically relevant, or biblically faithful, culturally relevant, countercultural communities, would that be true of us individually and corporately as a church? And would you be honored and glorified now as we partake of these elements, as we sing these songs, that you would receive, Father, the glory that is due your name, and we can boldly, I can boldly come into your presence, into that unapproachable, unexplainable foreknowledge and light of God the Father, boldly, because we have a high priest who intercedes on my behalf, and it's in Christ Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.